I decided to go in a steam room at Equinox gym. I was fully naked, open leg, I didn't give a shit. It was dead silent and everyone was always silent in there. I just said, yeah, out loud. And then people started getting uncomfortable. Next thing you know, we're all exchanging cards outside of, um, in the locker room. One of those people was a, was a, a big time retailer in Toronto and he ended up taking our product. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Dan Anderson Podcast. I, of course, am Dan, and this is a podcast about sharing the stories and lessons learned from successful entrepreneurs. Today, we are joined by the great Jake Carls, the co-founder and chief rover officer of Midday Squares. Jake, great to have you, man. How are you? Dude, thank, uh, I'm pumped about this. You know, I had a crazy morning, but I'm pumped about this. This, stuff, this kind of stuff excites me, so I'm glad you reached out. Because we're gonna get we're gonna get some cool information out. And I think that you're gonna get some different stuff that is is untraditional and kind of like, you know, I, I guess a bit controversial, you know. So yeah. I'm excited about this. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I appreciate it. But but Jake, before we get started, just wanted to give you a quick kind of plug. Um, obviously, I've watched a bunch of the podcasts that you and the team have created, and you know, the, I love the brand. I love the energy. So really excited about this conversation. Dude, I'm fired up. Let's get this going and let's get the energy out there, you know? Awesome. So let's let's talk about the company. Um, you know, for those who don't know, what is Midday Squares and what is it that makes you guys different from, you know, other competitors that are out there? So there's a couple of things. First off, I like to explain Midday Squares in this easy format. Uh, we started in August 2018. We'll get into the story if you want after. But I think what's cool to say is that if Hershey's company were to start today in 2020, that's what Midday Squares is. So they wouldn't look like what they are with the confectionery and all the, the bad ingredients. Midday Squares is a functional chocolate company. So we manufacture, right now we're manufacturing chocolate bars, so healthier chocolate bars. We like to say it's kind of like a baby between a, a real chocolate bar and a protein bar had a baby. And, you know, we eliminate all the artificial junk that's in protein bars, the preservatives, the chalky taste, and we made it with real food. So better for you foods, ingredients, and stuff like that. Um, but what makes us really different is yes, the product's innovative. It, trust me, you know, you, you won't see that many like this on the, on the market, but, um, it's the storytelling. It's how we built the brand. It's the brand equity. It's how we communicate with our customers and, and how we've allowed them on the journey with us and not just to watch the roller coaster ride, but to be on the roller coaster ride with us. And, you know, being transparent and sharing the unfiltered version of what it is to build a business is really the unique way that we've approached building the brand. And I think that's allowed us to have strong brand equity and a huge, huge, great community of people that um, have like-minded interests to us. One of the other things that makes Midday Squares different from other startups that are, that are out there, you know, it's not just you. You also have Leslie and Nick on board, um, but they're family. So I, I guess, is, is that difficult? Do you think it makes it any more challenging to, to work with family? Yeah, so... I think it's important to note that my sister's Leslie show. She's our CEO and she's my She's another co-founder. And then my brother-in-law is Nick. So they're married, um, which it makes it even more crazy. Um, and what we did was we didn't just partner because we're family members. I think that's important for other entrepreneurs out there. If you're going to just partner because it's your sibling or it's your, 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 your cousin or this, because you're close to them, it's not what it's not going to work because it's too hard. There's too many intricate, delicate issues that go on with family. There's past, there's this, there's that. So we actually became partners because of we complemented each other in our skill sets. We're all very differently skilled. And when you bring it together, it brings the puzzle together. That being said, um, this partnership is only successful because um, we see a business therapist once a week. 
So we take the time, two hours a week, to go see a coach or a therapist, whatever you want to call it. His name's James, really cool dude. He's a behavioral psychologist. And what he does is he helps us communicate in a safe space what we need to communicate with each other to work on our relationship, to understand each other's communication forms, to understand each other's perspective. Because no one's built the same. No one in this world is built the same. So something that works for my sister might not work for me. I might see blue, but she might see red. And you don't want to bring in your past histories as siblings. So we work really closely and invested a lot of money um, to have this, this on retainer, um, this coach and this therapist on retainer to help us get through this. And without that person, dude, we wouldn't have lasted as partners and potentially would have broken our relationship off because the, it's, it's, a, it's a pressure. It's a time pressure. I like to say that when you start a business, you know, your whole mind's dedicated to everything you do is dedicated. So, you know, there's a lot of delicacy and their, their marriage, my sister and my brother-in-law's marriage yep. took a beating at the beginning. They really did. It was, they went through a really rough patch. Um, and again, they worked on it tremendously. I think it was three days a week. They were working on it with the, with the therapist and, and we post that stuff, man, we show it because yeah. that's the truth of building a business. And if you're going to go into business, with your family, make sure they're the right partner in the sense of they're actually your partner because you need them to build the business, not because they're your family member. I think it's great that you guys do see that business therapist because, you know, it is something that you do have to manage on a consistent basis. But outside of, of Leslie and Nick, you know, your, your role is the, the chief rover officer. I mentioned that right out of the gate. For those who don't know what that means, and I know it's not a super traditional, you know, title for some larger organizations that are out there. You know, what does that mean and what is your day to day like in that role? <laughs> well, I'm a freak flag and I'm proud of it. So I, I wanted to call myself the Rover because, um, you know, I think titles mean nothing in quotations. And I'll tell you why. I think people don't need to be defined by it. And how I looked at it was basically um, I do a lot of different categories in the company. So I touch upon um, sales, marketing, customer experience, all these different things. And I add value to each one of them, but I don't want a management role. I never wanted a management role because I'm not a good manager. And at the end of the day, when I'm not being a good manager, you don't want to play to your weaknesses. You want to always play to your successes. And, and at the end of the day, a lot of people do the opposite. They try to fix themselves and this, that. So when I admitted finally a year into the business that I actually don't want to be a manager, I realized that I could add the value being that rover and going department to department and actually giving them the value that they need because I understood the customer inside out. So the, when you understand the customer, you're on the front line, you got to give that information to the sales team so that they can execute on different things. And this role has become like, you know, it's kind of molding into our rainmaker role. <laughs> the rainmaker traditionally means people that bring business to the company. Um, so what I do is I actually build noise. So what I do is I go to cities or I go to new areas and I just build the brand out. I go meet as many people as I can. I go sit in steam rooms, uh, gyms. I sign up 10 memberships to gyms and just sit in the classes to talk to people. I go to restaurants. I sit alone. I go meet people. And that's what the Rainmaker does. It brings as much value to the company from outside sources as it can. So, you know, actually our investors, 60% um, of them came from me being a Rainmaker in quotations, but not realizing wow. it, just rovering around. And so I think a lot of companies need that. And um Listen, the ego, you got to drop your ego when you're, when you're, when you're in a business. And I, I had to drop it when I realized that I can't manage people and actually I have to be managed by someone, even though I'm a founder of the company. And um, it hurt. At first it hurt, man. It, it was weird. It was like, imagine you started a company and then now you're being managed by all these people. Um, right. But you're, but you're, but you're the shareholder of the company. And I think that that's um, something, something that a lot of founders don't want to admit. They don't want to drop that ego side, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point because I think one of the things I've thought about, and I'm, I'm very interested in entrepreneurship, very interested in business, 
Um, but you know, at this moment, I don't, I don't have a business, and I don't want to force myself into something that's not necessarily going to play into my strengths. So, you know, this is kind of a, a side passion project where I think you know fits uh, relatively well the the skill sets that I do have and supports some other areas of my life. Um, but we'll talk about your strengths a little bit more because that's I think a really important part of not only business but life, right? It's not necessarily about you know just making money, but it's about you know, being happy. And, uh, and I think that's yeah. a big important part of, you know, this conversation. But I want to talk a little bit about why you were hesitant to join Midday Squares in the beginning, because you did mention you, you were relatively familiar with some of the protein products from lifting and all that. What was your initial hesitation and what kind of put you over the edge to want to wanna join? So I was in a weird state. I was running around before Midday Squares uh, basically throwing college parties on college campuses across Canada and then selling clothing. So I was having a time in my life being a kid um, and I wasn't good at running the business. I was good at making the noise and building the brand and getting people excited and feel something about something that but the operation of the business was just failing. The accounting, the actual manufacturing, the clothing, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I was losing more money, but I was having the time of life and I was becoming very popular in the college scene because the brand was becoming attractive. That being mm-hmm. said, I would go to my brother-in-law, who is, he's a, he's a software engineer, he's my partner, Nick, and I would go to him for advice on how to build the operation of the business. And he'd always tell me, do this, do that, do that. But it wouldn't register in my head because it was my weakness and I was doing everything myself. And the problem with that was I was running in a hamster wheel. And then when that came to an end in July, 2018, my brother-in-law and my sister wanted, they, when they started this business, they wanted someone to go make the noise in the company. They want someone that would bring the brand and explode it. And they had the manufacturing down. They had the operations down. They had the structure, the engine of the business running. They just didn't have that, that, that noise that, that needed to come. And they approached me um, before July. They actually approached me in, in, in May 2018. And they said to me, do you want to join this chocolate company? And I was like, what the hell do you mean chocolate? Like, chocolate like that's not fun i'm a candy guy i don't even love chocolate yeah. and they're like let's it's chocolate protein i'm like i'm like dude you need to go look at the grocery aisle and go look at the six the 20 feet and a thousand types of bars out there that you're just going to be another one on the shelf and they're like no 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 they tried to convince me convince me and i said no 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 finally i realized that i was at a point in my life where you come to a fork in the road and you kind of question yourself you kind of doubt yourself a little bit and I was doubting myself. I recently got, I was recently dumped by my ex-girlfriend at the time, um, at July, in July, 2018. And I had nothing going for me. I was, I didn't want to go back to college campuses and throw parties, live on fraternity couches. It just wasn't, I was 25 years old. I was like, dude, this isn't for me anymore. And I had nothing to do. And all I had was that third, that opportunity from Nick and Leslie, which was like, join the company, be our third founder and just do what you got to do. Be you, Jake, just do you. And I was like, what does that even mean? Do me. What kind of job is that? And (laughs) I finally realized, I was like, you know what? I'm going to join this and for the sake of joining because I'm, I'm not in a good place mentally. I was just like, I, I didn't know what to do with my life, right? Um, yeah. And I joined. And I didn't love chocolate. Keep this in mind. It's important to know this. I didn't love what I was doing, but I loved the people I was with. And I believed in them too as entrepreneurs. So when I partnered with them, I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And guess what? I Over the six months that when we started, the first six months, I started to fall in love with the food industry. I started to fall in love with it and things started coming together. So I don't think every entrepreneur has to love at first what they're going to do. I think they have to be open-minded to at least getting there and giving it your all. So I went in full throttle. I didn't just say, oh, I'm just going to do this for the sake of doing it. I said I was going to do it for the sake of doing it, but I'm going to give it my all. 
And that's where I identified and I experimented and I found out that I actually love this business. And it wasn't just another chocolate protein bar. And we were doing something special and we still are. And like I said, our goal is to build the Nike of food. What was one of the first things that you did when you joined the company? Because uh, I know you, you briefly touched oh, yeah. on the, the saunas yeah. and I know there's a story there. Yeah, yeah, dude, I'll get into that story. I'm more than happy to get into that story. But yeah. When I first joined, the first thing I said to them, I said to my partners, I said, guys, if I'm coming on board, we are going to film everything and we are going to show everything because I knew with my other brand and I was running around college camps that people like to be on camera. They like to see things that were happening. And my brother-in-law and my sister were like, but we're introverted people. Like we don't want to be on camera. I'm like, guys, we have to show everything. And I mean, everything unfiltered, crying, successes, failures, bad, good, ugly, the whole nine yards. That's the only way we're going to be able to blow this up. And guess what? Right now, to date, we have 17,500 videos on our Google Drive um, wow. of the document of the story. Yeah, of the story. And then basically, also, I like to say, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And, and this is where it leads to the story that we, you were just telling me about is the sauna was when I came to a new city, we were launching Toronto, uh, the network in Toronto. We basically started in Montreal, which is not far from you, actually. Um, and when we were launching a new city, I knew, I didn't, I knew people, but I didn't know a lot of people. And I was kind of yeah. shy and I was like, I was like, you got to get out there. There has to be a, you have to be different and you have to network and networking. Isn't the cheesy way of like going to like an event and like, like awkwardly having a name tag and saying, Hey, how are you? I'm right. Jake. I decided to go in a steam room at Equinox gym and there was eight men. I think there was eight or 10. I can't remember the exact amount of men that were in there. And I was fully naked, open leg. I didn't give a shit. Um, and I was just like, everyone's so peaceful in here and like no one knows each other. And like, it's a perfect opportunity to meet people. So what I did was I just said it was dead silent and everyone was always silent in there. And I would say, I just said, yeah, out loud. And then people started getting uncomfortable and it was cringe, but then somebody started talking and then I started talking and we started talking about business. Next thing you know, we're all exchanging cards outside of, um, in the locker room. And believe it or not, one of those people was a, was a, a big time retailer in Toronto that sells, that's a grocery store. And he ended up taking our product. And I was just like, holy shit, if you just generally be yourself, cause that was me, I'm that type of person to be annoying in the steam room or annoying here. You never know what can come, but when you are yourself, you're your best version. Anyways, that, that sauna thing taught me a lesson that at the end of the day, go and just do you. And when you do it in every environment, things happen, magic's made, whether it's good or bad magic, at least it's one or the other and not in the middle, you know? so. I always just say, that's why Nick and Leslie asked me to come on board was to be me. And I recommend that to everyone out there. If you're not going to be authentic to who you are, you're going to have a hard time penetrating or, or, or falling in love or even winning or, or losing, failing, like right. failing quickly. You, you'd rather fail quickly than slow death, you know? So yeah. I think that's a big thing for entrepreneurs. You know, I've received when I bought the, uh, I think it was the almond crunch and the fudge. You guys gave me a handwritten note with your picture on it. Um, and then obviously we communicated on LinkedIn as well. But on that front, I mean, how much time are you actually spending with customers outside of like networking like you're doing? Like guerrilla networking, I guess you could say. Yeah, dude, customers are everything. And you know who has the same model in terms of customer experience that focuses really much is Amazon. Amazon's sole duty, I think, revolves, their whole company flywheel revolves on the customers. So what I did was I, when, I, when we started this company and we started hiring people to do the roles of customer experience, I said, guys, it's not even a department customer experience. It's a mindset throughout the whole company. 
we are not going to automate it. We are going to scale it downwards and personalize as much as possible. Because when someone buys a product, I want them to feel like they're buying it from Jake, Nick, Alessio, or the team, not from, oh, I'm buying a chocolate bar and they go chocolate bar. When they feel like they're buying it from someone that there is their neighbor or their friend or someone they know, there's a lot more passion and a lot more opportunity for word to mouth to spread. So when people buy our products, I give them the full capacity of what it is to be human and not robotic. And I think a lot of companies forget this is you don't need to copy paste emails. You don't need to copy paste text messages. You don't need to copy paste messages. You can go out and go, go above and beyond because these people are the ones that are going to be your walking billboards. They're going to be the ones that, that genuinely spread the word about your product in different regions with their family, their friends. And I always tell my, my, my team, I said, guys, Make it so that this customer wants to go to their dinner table at night with their family and just talk about midday squares, but not about the product, about the experience in the company behind it, the culture, the, the storytelling, the whole nine yards of how we treat them. And for me, I spend about 45 minutes to an hour every morning, every single morning, sending customers personalized videos from me with their name, with something about them that I know personally that I found on social media about them. And I get personal them because that makes a real connection and it's not, it's not ingenuine, right? It's genuine and they feel it. So I plan on bringing that instead of 45 minutes a day to eventually bringing that to two or three hours a day. Yeah, cool. And, and when you mention those stories, I mean, has there been a moment where you've had like a difficult customer where you're like, oh shit, this isn't working well. How do I, how do I change yeah. that? How do I flip it? So yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're food, right? So food is consumable. So consumable, some people time people get sick, which is not necessarily our product could be food poisoning from something else. Um, or you're dealing with like chocolate, it melts in warm weather. Right. So, and we're living in the fridge. So people like, you know, like sometimes the delivery team doesn't like delivery trucks don't deliver it on time and people go crazy. And the thing about it is the way I approach it is it's not an angry customer. An angry customer is basically someone who just either wants to be heard has a concern, but just doesn't even know how to deliver it properly or communicate it properly. Or it's someone that just despises you and that you're going to have to let them go because you have no way of fixing it. But a lot of the time, it's not that. It's probably five, not even 2% of the time it's that. So most of the time, it's people that just want to be heard and have a conversation. And so what I do is I get on the phone. I pick up the phone, old school style. I don't even email. I pick up the phone. I dial their number. I, say, I get on the phone. I go, hey, how's it going? Tell me what's going on. Tell me how you're feeling. And they just speak. Sometimes it can be for 30 minutes. Sometimes it be an hour. Sometimes it's two minutes. But we get into conversations about their kids after. We get into conversations about this, about that, school. And that's how you should be treating customer experience. It's about real relationship building. And, and I, it, it goes back to our core value. Our first core, second core value, sorry, is customer obsession. And that means make them feel like they're guests at our dinner table. And that's it. That's all. And we don't tolerate hate speech or, you know, rudeness or anything like that like you know trust me i don't let my anyone speak to our team like that but those are the people that you either just need to listen to or know at the point to let go and just be like listen we're happy that you support us here's your refund here's everything uh thank you for doing business and, and, and forget about it and move on because there's a lot of trolls out there and their sole duty is to put you down make you feel bad um you know discourage you put mean reviews up because a lot of people like to put mean reviews up rather than positive ones up for some odd reason yeah um but you gotta just, they want to be heard. They want to be heard. But hear them out. When you hear them, they change everything. Their whole mindset right. changes. So I recommend everyone that's in that experience to treat it human-like, not robotic and automated-like. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and, and I, I do have an interesting question that kind of comes out of that. 
But let's say you go back to day one at Midday Squares, you're, you're fresh in the role. If there was some random restriction where you couldn't directly talk to customers, do you think Midday Squares would be in the same place they are today? So I think it wouldn't be the exact same, but I think we'd be we'd have a lot harder time growing. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, because everything has to be aligned. So a lot of companies say one thing and then don't do, don't do something completely else. So when we manufacture our product, if, if it's shit quality and we better treat them like give them a new product or, or make sure we understand that we care about them. And if you can't do that, your whole alignment and your, 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 your vision doesn't align and people eventually see right through it. And when they see through the bull, the BS or the bullshit that we, that, that people, a lot of companies have in this world, they ain't coming back and you lose a customer. And, and it's, I don't even look at it in terms of money. I look like this journey. And you said it at the beginning, it's not about the financial success. It was maybe for the first month of the business, but then mm -hmm. it becomes about making a difference. And I, it sounds so cheesy, dude, like making a right. difference. But when you see that you could change people and make them feel something from a product, not from the taste of the consumer of the product, but how you make them feel when they purchase or they go through the experience, dude, it's game changing. It's, it becomes your motivation to do every single day. Like I said, like my goal is to get the three hours a day of sending those videos. Um, and if I wasn't able to find those types of contacts or the information to find them, um, I would have had to figure out another solution, drive to their homes. I don't care, snail mail, doing things like that. Because at the end of the day, humans crave human attention. It's facts. Look at where we are in the world right now. People can't even right. see each other, really. You know, we're all through crazy. digital. They, it's crazy, dude. But, but if you can connect with them, it's what everyone's craving. The brand, from my perspective, obviously, I bought the product. I enjoy the product. I shared uh, my experience about the product with family and friends, but it feels natural, doesn't feel forced. And I think that is a, in large uh, due to your role, due to, to your focus with the customers. Back to your college businesses, right? You had Chase and Hunter and, and JK Fitness. From those experiences, were, was there something that you learned that's helped bring you to where you are today? And what was that thing? Yeah, dude, it's simple. Um, tell a story. Um, Stop with the facts and the numbers, make it, tell a genuine story and you're going to see people are going to, we learned storytelling at such a young age when you got books read to you, watch cartoons, you watch all this stuff. It's been engraved in your brain for so long that you're craving it even at the corporate level because the corporate level is consuming certain things. Your brain chooses things. It's wired a certain way to look at storytelling as a completely different um, way of, of it, of, of um, interacting. And I think that approach it all like, like you're always on stage, but don't do it in a fake way. Do it to who you are. And when you do that, you'll see crazy success. Crazy. That actually reminds me, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Ben Francis, the, the CEO, or I believe he's the CMO of Gymshark or straight up founder. Yeah, 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 yeah. One yeah. of the things that's really cool about him, you see him on YouTube and he's always posting, he's always talking about transparency. Um, that's something that, you know, seems very similar to what you guys are trying to do as well with all the videos, getting, you know, on social media, talking to customers. Just kind of yeah, something dude, that, that clicked in my brain there. Dude, transparency and sharing it is where the, is where the future is in terms of businesses. Um, and yeah. like I said, for me, our attention spans are so small. Like we, we have so many distractions in this world. When you hear a story, a lot of the time it'll pique your interest rather than hearing, oh, we sold, um, 
we, we, we sold this and then it tasted like a plant protein bar, blah, blah, blah. It's not fun that what's fun is, yeah, we're a manufacturer and we had to blood sweat and tears move from a condo where we were producing by hand to fully machine automated stuff that looks like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. You got to build things that are exciting. You can't just say numbers. It just doesn't work. It's not, it's not exciting. And it, the brain isn't programmed like that. And on that track, that, that goes hand in hand with like living with your brand, being a part of your brand. And it's not this separate entity necessarily, but you're, you're really a part of the machine that is, you know, building influence. And one of the things you talked about in the podcast was about, you know, wearing the crop tops around campus that you sold to football <laughs> players. Were, were those legit crop tops? Like, what was yeah. that like? <laughs> dude, dude. Those crop tops were the most classic things ever. I used to wear them. It, it just brought good energy and, and spreading. It was like having a bubble gun of, of positivity and just spraying it all over the place. And I, I think that's what we do here too, is send the good vibes to it because people love good energy. And I used to wear the crop top because it did that. It did exactly that. It made people laugh, made people smile, made that human connection that adds value to people's lives. And I think that something special about that is, um, a lot of brands don't do that. They don't go after um, adding a value, um, whether, even if it's an emotion to humans. All they do is sell product benefits, which doesn't make sense to me. Now, how, have you always been out there? Have you yeah. always been loud, a disruptor? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was always loud and always that guy that I wanted to be with people because people actually energize me at all times. And yeah. I think that's like my drug of life is people. And COVID has been a lot a very hard time for me being, I like to call it the, the year of the failing extrovert because the extroverted person didn't get to experience what they need to keep their blood going. Right. And it was hard. I went through ups and downs, hit rock bottom um, because I couldn't, I couldn't physically see the people. I couldn't, I couldn't go hang. I couldn't go do my things that I was doing. At one point I was running these dances in corporate, corporate companies, big companies, like the big banks and stuff like that were calling me and paying me to come and do a five minute pump up dance because they saw me do it on social media to fire up their energy in their corporate office and had nothing to do with midday squares. But then I, I brought it back by saying it actually does because we're all about spreading good vibes. And that was a way to connect with people at a deeper level. I used to go into offices and do the YMCA bro in all the corporate oh suits, God. the dresses, everything. It was the funniest thing. And I had the time of my life doing it. And that was what was energizing me to keep going and keep being me and keep doing what I like to do best. And uh, COVID really screwed that up for me a little bit, but um, yeah. you know, got to pivot and stuff. I think that's a good place to transition if we talk about COVID, because I think a lot of people are are kind of struggling, maybe with their careers, with their life, with their relationships, and you know, we're all in it together. But that brings us back to the story of you, you know, at that crossroads in your life before you joined Midday Squares. You told the story about you know taking that trip to Croatia, being in a low state of mind, and really going through like a mental crisis and not knowing where to turn. And I think a lot of people do struggle with that, especially, you know, maybe they, they leave a job or they graduate from high school or graduate from college and they really don't know what they want to do. But I, I think that's an important piece to focus on because you've lived through that multiple times. But at that time in your life, you know, how did it feel um, to really not have an idea of where your life was headed and what ultimately led you to, to finding that direction? So... Yeah, like a lot of people go through it not knowing what's next um, and being unsure. Uh, I was low. I was in a low state. You know, I, I didn't know what was going on. I was acting Im immature in the sense of just being like, oh, like, it's okay. I'll, I'll wait it out. I'll wait it out. I'll wait it out. I'll wait it out. I don't really care. I have no responsibilities, really. Um, 
And then when this came to me, this opportunity, I was still acting like, ah, like, you know, whatever, like, it's nothing great. Like, I always thought there was something like going to magically appear on my doorstep. And and I was waiting for that. And when you wait, a lot of the time, it, it actually doesn't come. I'm not saying not have patience, but when you wait and think that the world revolves around you, it doesn't. Um, and that was a rude awakening. Um, but when Nick and them were approaching me, it was a calling from it was a door knocking on me. And I just wasn't processing it because I was in that world of like, no, nah, totally cool. I'm killing it. Blah, blah, blah. I'll still go out. I'm, I'm young. I'm young. And uh, I just didn't feel good. And, and I, I, when I got broken up with, it, was, it just all hit me. And it was like, yo, I'm not on a high horse. Uh, I'm, I'm on the ground here. And I don't know what's going on. And everything's falling apart. What do I do? And I started doubting myself. And when you start doubting yourself, it kind of puts a fire under your ass. And I kind of changed my view and became more open-minded. Um, and that's why I experimented with midday squares. I gave it a shot because I was like, you know what, maybe this will be what I love, but I tried and I went for it and I followed through. And I think a lot of people don't, they just, they wait, 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 wait. And thinking like, you got to find what you love. Like at first that takes years of of experience, finding what you love. And I think, you know, everyone should focus on their passion, but passion can be identified through 10 years of, of experiences. It's not going to just come with the snap of a finger. And my passion wasn't chocolate actually. Uh, it was being with people and I identified that through midday squares. Actually, it came so clear to me. And then I was so clear on the focus that I was able to do it every single day of my life. And now I wake up, I'm thrilled. I'm fired up every morning. I have the energy, my blood's flowing. I go do things and I go, I go do stuff that I love doing every single day. And it's so cheesy to say it, but it took two years to get that. It took two years in the business to understand that. But being open-minded, open-minded at the time where you're in, well, you should always be open-minded, but especially during a time of, of your low, you'll find something, whether you like it or not, you'll at least be able to identify one or the other. And like I said, not stay in the middle and do nothing. So be open-minded. I think a lot of people, they'll, they'll see maybe a down part of their life and they, they want to instantly say, oh, this is the worst. There's no benefit. But in reality, there's actually a lot of benefit to going through those ruts in your life because it allows you to make a change for the better. And I think a lot of people don't realize that out front, but once you're going through it, you do some self-reflection, you do some thinking, then you make that transition. And like midday squares, you know, you're born out of a crisis, you're probably better off after the crisis is over. And I think that's the story of Jake Carl's, at least that, that I know, but it, it's, it's a really good one. <laughs> the story keeps developing, which is fun. Right. And, uh, and the, like I said, we, the goal for us is to eventually IPO our company, show the how we IPO a company, um, and tell that story and show the day-to-day and the actual moments that it's happening and not after the fact. Um, and that's where like, my legacy is going to go, is to, to, to making people feel something um, while, while, run, while, while building a business. And that's what I want my legacy to be. As we wrap up, if you could give, you know, a piece of advice to the aspiring entrepreneur or, you know, someone who wants to find direction in their life, wants to find purpose, um, you know, maybe they're going through a rough time. What is your advice to that person? Yeah. So my advice is so simple. Unaverage decisions equal unaverage outcomes. So when you make your unaverage decision, you're going to get something, an outlier, an outlier outcome. And that outlier is either good or bad, but it's not the middle. And that's why you've got to go make unaverage decisions because no one wants to be mediocre. Unaverage decision. An unaverage decision would be to yell, yell, yeah, in the sauna that we talked about before. It's a peaceful place and I did something disruptive and it worked. 
So it could have gone the exact opposite way and um, been horrible. And I probably wouldn't have done it again, or I would have transitioned the way I did it. Um, but at least, at least it wasn't just like, oh, I'm sitting there just to relax and doing nothing. And, and a lot of people don't want to make it because they're scared. So go make your own average decisions. It might get you into trouble. It might make you fail, but at least it's not going to make you stay in the middle. And you, you like, I, like I said, it's like, it's like, it's like the VC world. I always say they, they invest in companies. Um, they look for the home run. All they needed that home run to hit. Every other investment can fall or be the same, but that home run is what they're hitting for. The only way you get that home run is if you do something different. And um, yeah, as an individual, you should go do that. Go make some unaverage decisions. Love it. Amazing advice. Uh, Jake, this has been a great conversation. Obviously, continuing to watch Midday Squares grow. Uh, I got to try that peanut butter flavor, of course, because yeah. you're saying it's the best send, one. Send that address to me, bro, and I'm going to get it to you. And uh, where can the viewers, the listeners find Midday Squares? So go on our website, www.middaysquares.com. You can check the store locator uh, or you can buy it online. It's free shipping to the U.S. Um, I believe it's free shipping to the U.S. And uh, it should get there in two days. So um, check us out and uh, check our Instagram out and our podcast as well uh, at Midday Squares on all the channels there. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate this. It was a great interview, Dan. I, I really do. And I, I had fun. Awesome. Jake, you're the man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Rock on.